Welcome to yet another episode of the Reenactors Corner. In this episode, I'll be interviewing two young guys who run their own unit, not in German reenactment, but interwar and early war Norwegian infantry. But just as a quick note before we get started, I would like to once again thank all our patrons. Uh, we really appreciate the kind support of our humble podcast. And a warm welcome to our newest patron, the Turnip of Terror. You can become a patron yourself at patreon.com slash reenactorpodcast. Well, enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of the Reenactors Corner. Today is a special one, as we got two people in the studio here um they are adrian say hi hello and jonathan say hi hello they don't do german impression but they do norwegian interwar slash early war reenactment and it is rather unique and rather special so i thought we'd do a special episode where we talk to them about that adrian is also in my unit so i guess he also does German reenactment as well. Uh, Jonathan was in my unit until he left the unit uh, to start the Norwegian reenactment unit, I suppose. Why don't you just introduce yourselves? Yeah, uh, I can begin. Uh, I'm Adrian. So I've been reenacting for four years and uh, I started with Norwegian and that, that's the group we started, both of us. And it turned into an adjoint German group as well. And I'm also 19, so I started pretty early, which was quite nice, although that meant uh, very little funds to my impressions. So they had, uh, well, poor quality at first, but uh, they've been slowly climbing in quality, thankfully. We all got to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What about you, Jonathan? Well, uh, I'm 18, and... Uh... I started uh, uh, around the same time as Adrian. Uh, uh, we met uh, on uh, Instagram, actually. And we started talking about uh, World War II and collecting. And then uh, we started the, the reenactment group, which is called uh, Norske Infanteri Regimenter, uh, or which uh, translates uh, to English as uh, Norwegian Infantry Regiments. Uh, and uh, we started this group in uh, June of uh, 2016 because we were too young to join any other groups in Norway at that time. Um, I suppose the uh, first question would be why did you start a Norwegian... Like, why did you choose that impression specifically? Well, the easy answer would be that we're Norwegians. <laughs> so it's part of our heritage. And, uh, well, the uniform's also quite nice, although a bit outdated. <laughs> but, yeah, just telling the story, which no one else does, at least in the same way as a reenactment, other than just showing up in a uniform somewhere. Yes, at, at that time, uh, we didn't know about any other groups who was uh, portraying Norwegian soldiers at that time period uh, and at the same time we had both been collecting Norwegian military items from that time period for some time so we had most of the equipment uh, original equipment Alright, um, could you specify what your impression actually is, what time frame it is and what part of the military it is and etc well, for the most part, it's infantry. We also do some artillery, sometimes, depends on where we are. But it's uh, from the time frame of, uh, what is it, 1930, right? Yeah, Till 1930s 1940. to 1940, to the, the outbreak of war and the fightings uh, in 1940. Uh, we also do sometimes uh, pre-1930. Uh, uh, but uh, it's f for the most part, it's uh, 
1930 and uh, 1940. There are just a few specific pieces that's different earlier on, like the gas mask bags and some buckles and uh, yeah, and some other stuff. Yeah, the Norwegian army used mostly the same equipment from 1914 until 1940. So there are some minor changes that that's needed to uh to have a different time period. Alright, well I suppose this question could go to Adrian mostly. Um because you do a lot of German reenactment as well. You joined me in Belgium and hmm. Yeah, that was quite an experience. <laughs> certainly was, but uh uh what would you say is like the key differences between German kit and the Norwegian kit? There's only one buckle. That's probably the biggest difference. There's only the belt buckle. There's no other buckles, no white straps, no anything, no gas mask canister. It's instead a gas mask bag, which goes over your shoulder. The canteen goes on the strap, and so on and so on. But the uniforms are also a bit alike in that there's four pockets on the tunic. The field cap is also a bit alike, at least the uh, M43s. There are some differences, but not so many, actually. So it's also less stuff. You only have a backpack. There's no bread bag for the most part. Would you say that is more comfortable than the German kit? I would say a little, maybe. Uh, There's less equipment on the belt. And uh, when you have your backpack on, it also holds up your belt. So a bit. Uh, you you mentioned there's less equipment and such. Would you think if you had a week-long event, for example, uh, like one in Belgium, would that be better in the Norwegian kit with less equipment? Or would it be better in the German kit where you got more tools, so to say? I think that would depend on the event, actually. If it was a small tactical or... Just a long march, I think it would be better in the Norwegian kit, and that most of the stuff goes in the backpack in your pockets. In difference to the German ones, you always wear that backpack for the most part. So it's not like it goes in the truck for a month when you're moving, and and that you're supposed to have everything in your backpack. Well, more on unit organization. Uh, How many members are you in your unit? Active or on paper? Active. <laughs> Active. Uh, well, at the moment we have uh, 24 members, but due to the corona crisis we haven't had uh, an event in a long time. So, But on our last event we had, uh, I think, nine, nine members at least. Yeah, nine participants. Yeah. So you're 24 guys. That's a lot for a reenactment unit in Norway. Yeah, it, we're probably slowly becoming the biggest one at the moment. So <laughs> you certainly are. You're um, you're already bigger than my unit, but I suppose Norwegian uh, military reenactment is easier to do. Uh, I suppose mentally than German reenactment. Yeah, but not kit wise though. No. What's the difficulties with kit? Getting kit. Yeah. (laughs) That's the easy answer. (laughs) That's the easy answer, yes. Uh, Well, our our main problem with uh, the kit is that uh, there's very few who reenact Norwegian compared to the world. (laughs) Uh, um, And therefore, there are very few producers. For the most part, we have been using uh, original stuff. We have also bought uh, uh, items from... uh, Movie movie sets, uh, uh, documentaries and uh, big movies and uh, and use that, but that's low quality. Uh, and we also have one producer, but uh, that's low quality and it takes ages <laughs> for one delivery to show up. I think uh, the last time we ordered from that guy, it t- took five months <laughs> before for a jacket. Uh, no, we ordered a lot of stuff. But it was low quality. But it was low quality. Yeah, where yeah. it's very poor. It's almost like it's not wool. It's another thing which is wrong. We tried to look at other people. We've asked 
some people as well, but the answer should either be no or no reply, so... Yeah, in trying to make uh, re uh, reproduction stuff? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, what sort of equipment is available reproduced for Norwegian kit? Thankfully, because of one of our members, which got quite tired of ha not having any reproductions or reproductions low quality, he started making them himself. So now our ammunition pouches, belts, and straps are available, which we certainly are very happy for, which makes it easier in that those were the parts where we're, which was a bit harder to get and which was very poorly reproduced in that ammunition pouches, pouches had a big problem with the flap on top in that it would not close correctly so that ammunition could fall out. So... We're certainly happy for that. Uh, we have also started to refurbish uh, old helmets uh, because uh, uh, the helmet used by Norwegian army uh, at that time period was also used by uh, the civilian defense after the war. They were painted yellow and stored uh, and now most of them are rusted and uh, not in good shape so we stripped the paint and repaint them. Sometimes we also have to make a new liner. Uh, and then we use them as well. We get the pants and the caps uh, reproduced uh, from uh, those I bought from movie sets. And uh, the jackets are uh, mostly original. But we got a few that's also been uh, reproduced because there are some members who can't fit in the original uh, also, shoes are a big problem in that we have to use either some post-war reissued ones or originals. So it's quite hard to find the correct size for your feet sometimes. All right, that's an issue. I yeah. suppose original leather shoes aren't necessarily the most reliable shoes either. Well, actually, they're quite reliable, actually. It More than any German boots. Well, when you first find them, I suppose, in your well, size. Yeah, that, that's yeah. the thing. But yeah. when you find them, they're quite good. Yeah, it's surprisingly good quality. And if you just uh, take good care of them, they will last for, for years. Well, that's good to hear. But what do you do to members who can't find the shoes in the correct size and jacket in the correct size? When it comes to the jackets, we do just have to use the poor quality ones, unfortunately, in that there's no others available at the moment. And shoes, there are some post-war shoes we do use if we can't find the correct size. They they look quite similar, but... Uh... Yeah, they have rubber soles. Yeah. We'll have to do some sacrifices in order to have members, but we don't want to do so big sacrifices that it ruins the immersion and, uh, and well, the group. Yeah, the unit itself. impression. Yeah. The yeah. unit impression, yeah. What about firearms? Because the Norwegian army used the Krag Jorgensen M1894. Yeah. Mm. How is how are they to come by? Well, when we started, there was quite a lot of them on the market, and they didn't cost much. And then you bought them all. <laughs> no, uh, unfortunately <laughs> not. Uh, I paid uh, uh, twelve hundred knock Norwegian kroners for. From Maya, and you paid fifteen hundred. Yeah, but that's like yeah, what uh, hundred and forty dollars or something. Yeah. So that's not expensive. How how is it now? Um, you don't see them uh, anymore, especially thanks to the new regulations on uh, deactivated firearms. Yeah, because this is just four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. How what what is the price point of them now? The price is. Uh, now is around uh, three thousand. All right, so it more or less doubled. Yeah, it's yeah, more doubled. or less doubled. And they're difficult to find. Yeah, and when they show up, they disappear quickly because uh, uh, the new regulation, which uh, uh, comes in October, uh, uh, says that uh, there 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 will then be stricter rules to the uh, deactivation of the rifle. Yeah. And therefore, uh, those who are deactivated the old way, where you can like, um, 
use the bolt use the bolt and and uh take the part uh, and that stuff uh that will be illegal after that uh as long as you don't own one that's before right. that time but uh how what do you do with rifles to your new members then will you allow them to come to events even without a rifle or at the moment, most of our members have rifles, but... Uh, At least active ones. Yeah. Uh, and we, uh, because of uh, uh, the lack of uh, of reproductions on the market and equipment in general, uh, we have also, ma- also made uh, a quite large uh, rental of uh, equipment, and we also try to buy now some rifles that we can also rent to members. Right, so the unit has a loaner kit. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are trying to complete approximately three loaner kits. In four. A f- no, four. Yeah, at least four in a couple different sizes. Well, that's pretty good. How long? How far into that are you? We have some pants, some tunics, and uh, our order of uh, equipment, belts, and ammunition passes are complete. So we're just waiting for them to arrive. And we'll have to make an order of caps and uh, some shoes. Well, shoes are actually one of the most common things. Uh, Depends on the size, though. But it depends on the size, of course. But uh, the shoes we use, which are called Bexum shoes, uh, uh, they were used for a long time, uh, both uh, pre- and post-war. Uh, uh, and during as well, so uh, there are a lot of lot of them on the market, and they show up all the time. So, was that the only standard issue uh, boots the soldiers had? Well, if pre-war, uh, the the army uh, gave gave soldiers back some, uh, but uh, during the war, you see a lot of civilian boots used as well. So you can use regular civilian boots then. Yeah, but it depends on the event. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, of course. Yeah, if it's during the invasion, during 9th of April, you can use basically anything, almost at least. Yeah. But before that, it's mostly Bexum, and if you're like cavalry, you get like riding boots. Yeah, riding boots. So, so if you if you reenact a scenario that is the invasion of Norway. You can get away by using a lot of random stuff. Absolutely, you can. Uh, Depends on where we are, but for the most part, yeah. For the most part, you can. In in some scenarios, you can even use almost only civilian equipment or civilian clothes, <laughs> not equipment, but civilian clothes. Uh, and why was it like that? Uh, because uh, the mobilization was uh, <laughs> a real mess. Uh, it was carried out by mail, and and uh, a lot of people uh, heard about it. Uh, and uh, there wasn't enough equipment, and the Germans took a lot of the military depots beco- before uh, Norwegian army was able to give out the equipment. Uh, and also, before the war, there was a lot of... Uh, Shooting groups, just people that do it for fun on shooting yeah, ranges. Yeah. There was a lot of those and, hunters and yeah, hunters. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, pre-war, uh, it was decided that they should use the same rifle as the army did, so that in in a, a war scenario they they could use the same caliber and just bring the rifles to the front. So a lot of these uh, groups also fought in the, their civilian clothes and with the rifles. But that's the issue that you can use civilian clothes, but you still need a Krog rifle. Yeah. <laughs> that's scary. You, you also need armbands so that you're not just a civilian with a gun. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you guys have those armbands? There are some reproductions of those, actually. Yeah. All right. So That's cool. I yeah, suppose they are. Thankfully, aren't... they are so that if people want to do that, they can. I suppose they aren't the most advanced thing to reproduce either. <laughs> no, no, they're just tree colors. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, to backtrack a little bit again, um, how about other weapons? Because I suppose the Norwegian army didn't only have rifles. No, yeah. you have uh, light machine guns, but uh, they're like a needle in a haystack if you want them. 
especially originals. Yeah, they're... because you uh, Nor- Norway used the Mudson. Yeah, Mudson yeah. model 1914 and 1922. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any in your unit? No. <laughs> no, they're they're not easy to come by. Should you guys have one in your unit? Was the Norwegian doctrine to have a similar to Germany that you had a squad with light machine gun in it, or? Uh, it's not necessary. A lot of the groups were only rifle, rifle, riflemen. It would be cool, of course, but uh, at the same time, it's rare and it's also extremely expensive. And uh, you can't just only get the the machine gun. You also have to get all all the other equipment, the the water bottle and the magazine pouch. And uh, was the Madsen water cooled? No, no, but they did still have water bottles for some reason. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I know it's it's re- it's really weird, but that's just the way the Norwegian army did it. Maybe so. you're supposed to water it so it grows into a bigger weapon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it turns into a water-cooled machine gun. <laughs> you just have to keep firing uh, long enough. Yeah, but what about heavier machine guns? We did have uh, the uh, the Hotchkiss. Uh, I don't Hotchkiss M eight ninety eight. I think it was. Don't quite remember. I think it was that. Uh, but uh, the Hotchkiss uh, was supposed to be replaced by the Colt uh, M29 uh, heavy machine gun, and uh, that was the main machine gun in the army, a heavy machine gun in the army in 1940. But that it's also very rare. And it's a lot of equipment. And do you have any of these in your unit? No, we do have parts of one, but uh, not the whole one yet. The Colt or the Hotchkiss? The Colt one. There's okay. a guy in our unit that's bought pieces and is trying to restore it. <laughs> that's also a way to do it. <laughs> but, yeah, it's but... also so that we can make it make sound, which would be great at a tactical in the future. So. Yeah, but we are have actually been so lucky that we have uh, we are able to borrow both the Colt machine gun and the Matson from a museum in Stavanger. That's awesome that uh, you guys also get museums to help you out. Uh, what about other small arms like pistols and submachine guns and stuff like that? Well, Norwegian army did not have submachine guns. So I, I don't even know if they were even known to the Norwegian army. Well, they were had very old doctrines and old thinking. <laughs> yeah, t- <laughs> outdated. T- tell about the one about the tanks, how to deal with them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's a fun one. Uh, well, the Norwegian army did not believe that tanks was a potential threat to Norway because of the mountains and the terrain. But if the enemy would use tanks, then uh, a soldier was supposed to lay down and shoot at the uh, at the viewports. The viewports. Yeah, viewports and mission blocks and stuff like that. Yeah, shoot at those. And when the tank was close enough, he should roll to the side and throw a hand grenade underneath. And if all of that failed, he should just let it drive past and then it would either be taken out by other units or the nature would take care of it. <laughs> That's optimistic <laughs> because Germany did land with uh, Panzer 1, Panzer 2s and a unique Nova Fahrzeug but Norway didn't have any dedicated anti-tank weapons. No. We just hope nature would take, it cor- take its course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, at least one Panzer II got stuck in a river. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was some experimental uh, ideas used, and, uh, well, the Germans did lose quite some tanks in Norway. But that was mostly to British and French anti-tank weapons, right? Yeah. But should we continue with the question? Yeah. With the handguns. Handguns. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so handguns. Uh the Norwegian army ordered uh the Nagant uh M1893. Yeah, revolver. The revolver, yes. Uh and used that uh for a long time, but then uh, uh around uh right before the First World War, 
they wanted to have a uh, a semi-automatic pistol. And so it was decided to uh, see which one was best, and so they bought a lot of different pistols. Uh, also some uh, uh, very interesting uh, uh, Norwegian designs, uh, but the one that was seen as the best one was uh, uh, the Colt, uh, Colt M1911. 45, baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it took quite some time before it was decided that it was this that, that pistol that was supposed to be used because there was a real desire to use a Norwegian design. So they went a little back and forth before it was the, the American design of one. Uh, and it was they bought they bought the license. Uh, Kongsberg uh, Weapon Factory bought the license to produce the Colt and produced it under the name Automatic Pistol M Model 1914. Yeah, which is the famous Kongsberg Colt pistol. Yes, I suppose the pistols are easier to get a hold of. At least in 1911, you can get uh, reprodu- reproductions of, not necessarily the. Kongsberg Colt variant, but I suppose they're close enough. Mm. They're close enough, and there are just some minor changes. Yeah, uh, because it's more or less only the markings and the slide catch that's different. Yeah, and the magazine. Yeah, and the grips as well. The, yeah, uh, absolutely slides. everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's some parts, but it's 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 the it's, it's the, possible. It's, we have mentioned all of them now: the magazine, yeah. uh, the grip, and the, the slide catch. Can you get uh, reproductions of the Nagant revolver? Because I know other nations use them as well in vast numbers. We haven't. I haven't really researched that. We have quite a few Nagants in the group now. Uh, so, and at the same time, Nagant was uh, wasn't that much used in 1940. All right. So, it's mostly the Colt or the Krag. Yeah. Um, but you have you you want to have like a selection of the Colt machine guns and the mods and within the unit as well, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. One day, hopefully. <laughs> one day. One wonderful day. Uh, you also said that you reenact artillery. Um, Sometimes. Do you have artillery pieces to play around with? No, we don't. But uh, we have a, a fortress, which we can borrow quite freely uh, and uh, this, this fortress have, uh, have three uh, stationary uh, artillery pieces uh, which are somewhat functional uh, and they also have an, an artillery museum with a lot of uh, smaller mobile guns. Alright, that sounds awesome. The Norwegian army did have uh, two uniforms uh, in 1940, uh, and that is the M1914, as it's known, uh, and this this is a a, a green uniform with uh, re- red piping and hidden buttons, so you don't have to change any buttons uh, if you want to be artillery or cavalry or infantry or anything. Uh, and uh, then in 1934, the M1934 uniform came. And then this one has visible buttons and has a more gray, a gray tone to its uh, uh, to its uh, gray green uh, tone uh, in color, and does have piping in the same color as the rest of the jacket. So no piping at all, hmm. basically. Well, I suppose it's more of a German thing to have piping. Yeah. At least on the later Norwegian tunics, on privates or menig, which is which they're called. But if you come up to officers and all that, they have green piping on their tunics. So. All right, and green means Panzergrenadier, right? Nope, it's, <laughs> the, it's still infantry. It's just that the color changed somewhere. So somewhere on, somehow. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere somehow. Well, in it that, just changed. In 1914, it was decided that. It, the piping should be red, and in 1934 this was changed to green. Uh, but for some reason, the the private uh, uniform should only have piping in the same color as the rest of the uniform. So it's 
somewhat disappears in the rest of the uniform. But there's still a piping there. Alright. Well, that's interesting. Um, I suppose, uh, what would you say is the biggest challenge when it comes to running a unit as you do? Trying to do it correctly, basically. And that there were no prior information that we could use to do marches and just all that stuff. So Jonathan started collecting books, handbooks, and manuals. So why don't you talk about bit about those? <laughs> well, the Norwegian army basically had a manual for anything. Uh, so there are quite a few, like most armies do. Yeah, but so there are there are uh, a lot a lot of different some that I think I will definitely have use, and some that I think I will never ever use because. <laughs> uh, it's such uh, a weird things. For example, there's uh, one uh, manual for measuring wind. Don't think I'll ever ha- have to, u- to need to use that in an event. Well, when you're portraying artillery, maybe you need to measure the wind. Well, thankfully, they're not shooting with artillery <laughs> <Yeah>. pieces. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but uh, I think I have uh, I have five boxes now. With books, so <laughs> okay. So I, it's around, it's above two hundred uh, manuals now. So it's a lot. That's a lot of research material. Yeah, absolutely, and that's where you find the best, best uh, information. Because if you go to the talk to collectors, there's a, a lot of different information and. A lot of it is wrong, and a lot of it is somewhat right, but not totally. So, if we should only listen to collectors, then we would do a lot of things wrong. Yeah. So, yeah. And that is what we started with first. We listened to collectors or just people we thought knew what they were talking about, but that was a huge mistake. Yeah. Do you have any examples of what they told you was right that wasn't right? For example, uh, uh, we used some gators uh, that uh, uh, are known as uh, the M1914 gators uh, among collectors. Uh, but in reality, uh, they are uh, known as... They are, in reality, they are Österdals Socki. Österdal socks. <laughs> yeah, uh, and they're very similar to the German uh, Stürisches uh, Gamaschen. And uh, they are in reality post-war. Uh, oh. And are made of uh, <laughs> of uh, uniforms that uh, was no longer fit for use. So there was they were resewn to gators. So it's a lot of different colors. They they are made from British battle dresses and Swedish uniforms and Norwegian uniforms. And I think also some of German uniforms. There's also uh, the problem with when we first started uh, that we didn't know when how we were supposed to stand guard. So we listened to the guys and, or some collectors and they said, oh, you're supposed to stand like this, your arm out, holding a rifle and it's but this like with your feet. But that's wrong. It's modern. So there's right. a few pictures of that, of us doing that, but yeah. we learned later that, well... Then then we start start doing it another way, uh, but that showed out to be more of a German uh, drill. Uh, bec- and, and when I got the right manual, I realized that uh, because in the German you're somewhat more... Uh, uh, aggressive uh, with the rifle, uh, bec- and but in the in the Norwegian manner, it says very clearly that you should handle the rifle with care, and you should not be harsh towards it. You should handle it delicately. Uh, when you guys started the unit, you were uh, both um, young and very young, fifteen. Yeah, and you weren't experienced in running any unit or anything. Uh, what were some challenges you faced starting up and running the unit initially, and are there anything you kind of regret doing? Well, first off, it was difficult to become known, let people know who we are and what we do, and uh, 
to find the events to join. Uh, and also the recruitment was a bit difficult in the start. Slowly, in the first year we we became we went from two me and Adrian to four members. Uh, and then we have gradually grown after that. But 2016, 2017, we were mostly four, five, six people. Yeah, there's also the problem with some members just doing what they want. And we didn't really know how to handle that. Yes, in the start, uh, since we, we knew so little about Norwegian equipment, uh, there was very often that we had to like... Uh, first we taught something and then oh this is wrong we have to change it so then we had to say okay guys we can't use this or that uh, and then there was some members who uh, uh, who hesitated or they said that I want to use this uh, I can use this <laughs> and they wouldn't listen uh, and that was uh, a real issue uh, and uh, we also had one guy who came up with some <laughs> interesting ideas about what he could and what he couldn't use. Oh, God. <laughs> Do you have any examples for that? I see you both smiling. <laughs> well, he was carrying a rifle and he had a pistol holster at the same time. He was using a Swedish helmet, although we did order approximately 200 of them for testing when we were trying to make our own helmet. But, well, he wanted to do basically what he wanted, so he just said one time, like, eh, if I can get the captain uniform, could I be captain? And Jonathan regretfully said, ah, if you can get it, sure. <laughs> I, I just... Uh, <laughs> the captain uniform. Oh, no. At, <laughs> that was a real mistake, but at that time, we had just started, and the captain uniforms, they're very rare and very expensive, especially for a 15-year-old boy. Uh, so when he said... Uh, I want to be a captain. I just laughed and smiled and said, okay. <laughs> yeah, he was also older than us, so that could probably be a part of the reason why. Uh, and, well... On the next event, yeah. he showed up with uh, quite an interesting uh, impression. Uh, he had a mixture of uh, uh, pre-war and post-war equipment. He had uh, captain uniforms from the pre-1914 uniforms and the 1914 uniform and uh, <laughs> it was a lot of weird stuff and he also used uh, a French gas mask uh, which he said that he had bought uh, when he was uh, since he was an officer he had had a vacation in France and then he bought a, a gas mask and he used this gas mask uh, in the army that sounds like a far-stretched uh, story. It's a very far-stretch, and those are some regretful times. So, <laughs> well, well, I mean, you were young and inexperienced in running a unit. Young so. and naive and simply a bit stupid. <laughs> but we, we managed to get him out somehow. It was partly my fault, but, well, yeah. <laughs> so we got him out, and our quality started rising, thankfully, so... What would you say is the most interesting about running a unit that you do? We meet a lot of people who share the same interests as us. And at the same time, you also uh, learn the history of the Norwegian army in a different way. Uh, when, when you're collecting uh, the original stuff, you, you can just like buy whatever you find uh, and uh, put it on display. Uh, but when you're you're in the field and you're doing the drill and everything, you have to learn exactly how it's supposed to be done, mm. and how are you supposed to set up that tent and how are you supposed to dig that trench? Now you're supposed to hold your rifle, uh, so you learn a lot of those things that uh, you would never be interested in reading if you were only collecting. Mm. Uh, so basically, the practicalities of being in the field in the kit which when you're collecting you just see it and you touch it but it gives a totally different feeling also there's a lot of great feedback from everyone for the most part like old people young people 
collectors and all that. Have you used your knowledge in teaching other people about stuff? Yes. Uh, I have, for example, had a lecture for uh, a battalion of the King's Guard uh, with some other people where I came in my original kit and uh, they took photos next to me and uh, before, after, and I told about what kit, what what the Norwegian army used during before and during the war, and they thought it was the the soldiers in the King's Guard thought it was a lot of fun comparing their equipment with the, the equipment I was using, uh, and we have also attended at uh, uh, several uh, events at a uh, fortress, Heitorp uh, fortress, uh, which is located in Mysen. Uh, and this is the fortress where we also have the artillery uh, pieces. Uh, and here we have uh, participated as uh, as guides, telling the visitors about the fort and uh, about Norwegian army. And, and we have also done the same thing at uh, another fort, uh, for, uh, coastal fortress, uh, which is uh, Toros, uh, which is located in Sjöme. Uh, what are your future plans for the unit and what would you like to see happen in the near future? Reproduction uniforms. <laughs> We're, we, are slow, we are working on it, but hopefully soon there will be jackets available which are an okay or good quality. Yeah, that we can, when we get new members, that we can more easily tell them, buy this and that. Yeah. Uh, Instead uh, of just saying, oh, be on the lookout for an original tunic that might fit you. Because it's quite hard to recruit people when not everything is as available as it should be. But we're slowly working on it. Hopefully we have a light machine gun soon. Hopefully one day. Hopefully a heavy machine gun. And uh, hopefully we'll have some great tacticals with uh, the other unit, the division. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, I also hope that we, uh, in the future, can... Uh, uh, we do have some members who are taking part in uh, uh, movie production now. And uh, I hope... And we have also participated in uh, a, a, a theater one time uh, with some members. And uh, I hope that in the future that we can also uh, participate in uh more in in such uh, in, in such things uh in movies and theaters and etc and uh, also maybe I'll, uh, uh rent our equipment for such things do you have any funny stories from your unit you would like to share mm, yes of course i do it was uh a tactical <laughs> with the division so us, the Norwegian guys, we left early to get to our positions so that the Germans could have a pursuit. And when we got there, I and another guy just lied and waited for the Germans to come. Lasse was always late, so I hadn't seen him yet. So later on, like two hours later, I think. Yeah, it was the middle of the night. Yeah, and uh, me and another guy was like, oh... Uh, should we go on a patrol? So we asked Jonathan, and and we got a yes. <laughs> yeah, so, I said yes, but I said but do not fire upon the enemy if you meet them. Yeah, that got pretty hard when they started shooting at us first. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a little shootout, and uh, later on I was at the edge of a cliff. I did not see how far down it was. I all I knew was I could see the treetops. So. I was walking along. Suddenly, a branch took my field cap. I was turning around to pick it up, and then I slipped. So there, I started sliding down. Like, uh, well, I don't know how steep it was, but it was steep enough. I took a hold of a branch, but it broke immediately, and I started screaming, "Wah wah!" And well, <laughs> the edge what the edge was closing in. And I realized, like, oh, how far down does this go? And suddenly it turned into a 90-degree drop, and I fell. My rifle on my side, and, well, it was quite an experience. I remember I was uh, laying in a muddy ditch, getting wet, 
and trying to reload my uh, rifle uh, as I heard the uh, the safe word of the event getting called out. So I stood up and walked up to one of the Norwegian guys. Uh, there were two like a second ago, but now there was just one. And he was looking down at the ground or something. And I walked up and I see there's a pretty steep cliff. And he says, uh, Adrian is down there. And I said, why is he down there? And he was like very calm about it. Like he, he fell, I don't know. And I was like, damn, I couldn't see you because as he said, it, it's a steep slope and then it turns into a 90 degree drop. So you were out of my line of sight and I, I cried out your name, Adrian, you there. Are you okay, Adrian? Yeah. And I heard, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was some, some sound from you, but uh, it, it was all right. You were beaten up, but there were no broken yeah. bones or any, anything. And it was like a four to five meter drop. <laughs> no, it was probably bigger than that, I think. Maybe. Like maybe six. I mean, the more. only damage you had was the bayonet frog, wasn't it? Yeah. Also my pride. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, from my perspective, when I heard you call out, I just saw five shadows at the top. <laughs> just five just big things, or small things actually, but yelling out my name and I was just, what? What, what is this? What's hap what happened? And, uh, well, thankfully there was no nothing wrong although i was beaten up so badly that i did leave yeah you dropped out the following morning yeah like how many hours later three five four i think it was like six hours later or something yeah. which is totally understandable because you <laughs> fell down a cliff yeah but um i'm happy that nothing worse than that happened that that you weren't more damaged to it because that would uh, it would be stressful for me as an event uh leader <laughs> it's good that it happened to me and nobody else it would be a problem if it was the other guy and that he's younger you're a strong guy and you've been damaged a few times <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's also Belgium when I was there that was just uh, two or three months later <laughs> as you fell out a cliff and you blacked out like you got a fever and everything yeah I was dehydrated and a cold at the same time and Oh, God. Yeah, I remember looking at you. You were gray in your skin, and you just looked straight ahead, and you said, uh, I don't feel well. <laughs> I'm like, I can't see that. <laughs> yeah, but thankfully nothing worse has happened. Yeah, well, next yeah. is losing a limb, I suppose. <laughs> Hopefully it's just a toe. <laughs> well, I do have an experience from the same tactical, uh, which I can tell. Uh, and uh, we had just been ambushed by the Germans. Uh, and the whole uh, unit got dispersed all over the place, uh, and I lost, I, I, I lost the other guys. And then suddenly I heard voices and I heard equipment, uh, and <laughs> we were clink, 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 clink. Yeah, you heard German equipment <laughs> and, rattling. And I thought, oh, it's uh, it's Adrian. <laughs> Uh, because I heard some voice and I thought it was familiar. So I ran, and then suddenly I see this German steel helmet right in front of me. <laughs> I, I just threw myself uh, behind uh, this tree, uh, and I, I load my rifle, and then I stand up and I fire one shot, and I hear, just, I, and I hear a scream, and I hear this equipment, kring, kring, and one is running away. And then I reload my rifle, and I crawl slowly, around so i could get behind them and when i do get behind them i find four guys laying around uh i'm just like whoa did i just take down four guys is it and they were just like it's just you uh and i said yes and i did only fire one shot uh, they, what what just one i thought it was like four <laughs> and then one of them says well the last guy he ran that way <laughs> 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 that does remind me of a story Chris told where they got shot at by one shot and three guys fell dead <laughs> yeah I suppose it's good to take your hits but uh... <laughs> yeah it, we're very good at taking hits thankfully <laughs> yeah we're not like American reenactors we don't take hits well but, some do well <laughs> yeah but uh, you remember shooting me Lasse yeah I, I remember uh, aiming at your back as you ran down this road and I took a shot and you fell, and I was like, fuck, I loaded that with live rounds, didn't I? 
but uh, yeah, you're you're just good at taking your hits at, you know, at the right time. The, yeah, thanks for that. The, ki- <laughs> the kind words. <laughs> it scared me. <laughs> what I thought was the best part was that uh, uh, these guys they they had uh, getting water, so they had this large jerry can with water, and I had no water in my fill bottle, so I just took the jerry can and I poured water inside <laughs> my bottle while they were all lying around watching me in disgust. Isn't that stealing off uh, Wehrmacht's uh, property? <laughs> well, yeah, but we did steal things during the war as well, so... <laughs> that is true. Yeah. I suppose a last question could be um, what kind of events do you like doing as Norwegian uh, reenactors, and what kind of events would you like to see more of? Uh, well, we have done mostly like uh, field, no, no, not field, but uh, boot camp events uh, where we are located at, and mostly at the same for- fortress, Heitoip, because we have uh, good facilities there. But we would like to see more field events, events but the problem is that we have uh, we have just one tent, for example, <laughs> and that tent can only have like three or four people inside. Can't you get more even more tents? <laughs> they're they're pretty expensive, and uh, we are trying to work out some reproductions by buying uh, Finnish saltbonds or salt pieces. In that they're similar in shape, you just have to use ho- bit like sh- change the buttons into hooks. All right. So well, that's in, that shouldn't be too difficult, I suppose. No, no hopefully not. Hopefully we, not. We, we hope to finish those soon so that we can do more field events. It's like fixing your car. It should be a simple task, but then well, something it, pops up. and It, it could be time-consuming. Yeah, very <laughs> and expensive. Yeah. yeah. But what about public events? Like, you are... I, I think that uh, Renactor's doing uh, impressions that's more related to the local area's history has more relevance uh, uh, public displays than others. Uh, do you like doing public events and would you like to do more of them? We have done a lot of public events and uh, we really enjoyed doing that. Uh, it's fun to like hear uh, people's thoughts and uh, uh, let them like look at uh, our equipment and let us tell about it and the history of the Norwegian army uh, and some fun facts. Uh. Yeah, I, I I really enjoy uh, public events, and I think we are we are doing a lot of them, and we are definitely doing more of them in the future. Yeah, uh, thankfully uh, there's no public tacticals, which would be a bit of a problem, I think. In that, well, public tacticals aren't really as fun as like like tacticals in the wood by yourself. I think the Battle of Norway could be reenacted on a field. <laughs> no, we need snow and some high mountains. Just stay away from the cliffs. And ships. <laughs> and ships. No, they were all sunk. That's why you have the famous Gebigs Marina. But I mean, you can reenact the entire campaign of Norvik on a field with destroyers and then the subsequent mountain battles and everything. <laughs> <laughs> no. That would, <laughs> a simple no. That would be quite interesting. Yeah, no, indeed. But I do like public events. Yeah. They are great. They're a great opportunity to recruit people, and it's a great way to show that we exist and that reenactment groups at public events are a new thing. In that, it's mostly just been weekles, like from the sixties for the most part. So. We do get a lot of good feedback. So. Yeah. yeah, I suppose uh, Chris and I, we often talk about how public events aren't really useful for uh, recruiting new guys, but do you, do you guys actually get recruits? Um, you get new members from public displays? Yeah, sometimes. Absolutely. All right. Uh, what about internationally? Do you get like, you're talking about that uh, you get good feedback and stuff from people in Norway, but you also get like international good feedback? Yeah, as we have mentioned earlier, there are very few people who are reenacting Norwegian, and uh, the, the Norwegian part of World War II is very unknown for many uh, many outside Norway. Uh, so, for example, uh, we had a photo, photo shoot in uh, 2018. Uh, well, yeah, with a very good photographer, I heard. Yeah, yeah, he was really good. <laughs> Unfortunately, he's not here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
it's not me i promise <laughs> uh well and uh let we shared these photo- photos on uh, a facebook group called living history share your impression and uh, we got a lot of likes and a lot of f- very positive feedback and we even got uh the group photo on on the group uh on the facebook group was one of our photos for quite a few months that uh, was really exciting yeah so yeah that's one way to get your name out i suppose <laughs> yeah at least internationally not so much in norway but well it's good yeah. to get your name out there is there any international uh interest to reenact norwegian interwar and early war uh most of the messages that we have received on our facebook is actually where do you buy your stuff can you tell you us where you buy your stuff uh where you get your reproductions <laughs> uh i want to make reproductions and etc etc so there's international interest to do the impression well either it's just people that want new stuff or it's people that just have too much money <laughs> or it's one weird guy that want to do something by himself like i don't know but there's not been much talk about doing it as an impression from what i've seen it's just where do you get this where do you get that and so on and so on so i do remember there was an irish guy wasn't it yeah. irish teenager he wanted to try but uh it was a bit hard yeah and uh, there's from what i've heard got... there's also an american guy that has some kit and there's some russians as well who have talked to us but they only write in russian so we have to use a lot of google translate <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a european problem probably not a north american one we could also mention so hopefully someone will want to produce Norwegian in the future that <laughs> the Germans did use a lot of Norwegian stuff. Mm, yeah, <laughs> especially up in Norway. You could do Kriegsmarine, better known as Gebigsmarine, because they're not on a ship. <laughs> so you don't need a ship anymore. So that's an easy well, way to do it. Well, the ship is rather expensive, I heard. <laughs> yeah, it's rather expensive or non-existent. Especially if you're just a, a guy or a friend of five it's yeah. kind of hard to build a destroyer ship yeah you could make like groups up in norway which is which has gebigs yeah yeah jäger and uh kriegsmarine and falschemjäger in one group so there's a quite mixed mix up there so yeah because the the, the interesting thing about uh germans and norwegian equipment is that germans are uh known for using equipment from all over the place from all of the countries that they occupied during the invasion uh many of the ships that uh, both uh both in the eastern part of Norway and also up in Norwich uh, were sunk and uh, the soldiers and on board had to use uh, Norwegian uniforms and equipment from the depots and they fought uh, for quite some weeks or months with that equipment and during the war ma- a lot of this this equi- the norwegian equipment that was uh left on those depots were were either used just as they were or had some minor changes with uh, the eagle breast eagle and uh, uh stuff so on uh, and then used by the coastal artillery so uh if someone wants to have a, a german uh impression from norway then uh, they should absolutely <laughs> try to get some norwegian stuff as well before we go uh, where could uh, our listeners uh, find you do you have a website no but we're on facebook if you search uh, norske in uh, or how should i pronounce it uh, you pronounce it like this Look in the show notes, there's a link there. <laughs> yeah, thankfully you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's basically Norske Infanteri Regimenter. Uh, or Norwegian Infantry Regiments. Just in Norwegian. I yeah. think we would... Google w- Translate is your friend. I think we can also we would also show up if you just write Norske I-R. N-O-R-S-K-E space I-R. Yeah. All right. Well then, uh, thank you for uh, being on the uh, podcast. 
Yeah, and thank you for letting us join you on yeah. this very exciting podcast. I hope uh, it it has been interesting for our listeners as well. Yeah. Also, remember to support us on Patreon, <laughs> <laughs> or not us, but us <laughs> yeah. and Chris. Support the uh, podcast on Patreon if you would uh, be kinder. There's a link in the show notes as well. You can also support pr- us by you can also support us by a like. <laughs> of course, um, a word of mouth. Share us around. Uh, share the episode if you like it. Press like. Whatever. This is not YouTube, I suppose. Can you like a podcast episode? On Spotify? I don't think so, but... This is getting weird. (laughs) I'll see you guys in the field. I'll see you down the cliff. (laughs) Thanks again to Mike, aka Retroman, for editing this podcast.